Welcome to We Gotta Talk, a live weekly talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. From health to relationships to alternative lifestyles and more, the one thing you will always get is a deep dive. I'm Sunny, a 15-year veteran of TV news, freelance writer, blogger, mom of three, and wife. But most of all, I'm just a die-hard oversharer, someone who's genuinely curious about, well, everything around me. And I can't wait for you to join in on these conversations that I promise will impact, inspire, and entertain you. Now, let's talk. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to We Gotta Talk. I'm so proud. I just ran my own open and I did my own technical things. So hopefully this show goes off without a hitch. I'm Sunny. I'm so glad you're here for this episode. We are talking with someone today who will absolutely inform and inspire you. JJ Ramberg is the co-founder of Good Pods and Good Shop. She's a former TV news person and she is a seasoned entrepreneur. So today we're going to be talking about all of my favorite topics, which include but aren't limited to um, starting your own business, doing so while being a mom, and getting all kinds of great information on how to balance it all, even though I don't actually believe in balance. Let's bring JJ in right now. Thank you so much for coming on the show, JJ. I love you say balance it all. I'm literally in my bedroom hiding from my children who are about to get up to go to school. <laughs> That's what I'm in here. I know. No. Oh my gosh, I was doing an Instagram live the other day, like talking about the show, and I just stopped and I was like, stop talking. And I was like, I probably looked like a psycho to someone who doesn't <laughs> have children, but like, you know, you <laughs> the curtain's been lifted to all for all of us. It's true. It's true. I said in the beginning I don't believe in balance, but I'm curious, and we're gonna get into good pods, good shop in your career in TV news, which is so fascinating. But I do want to ask right off the top, being a woman who, at least from the outside, looks like she's doing it all, what's your whole take on the balance thing? I'm with you. I mean, there is no balance or there is. It depends what you think about how you think of it. I, I think there's a balance every single day. So I um, started my show on MSNBC, launched my first company, got married and had three kids all within five years. Wait. What? So, so there was, I know, when I look back now, it seems bananas, but at the time it all felt doable. But the way I looked at it was at any given moment, I had the choice, like, do I go home and pick my kid up from school or do I stay and do this extra interview? And so the way I thought about or think about it is in 10 years from now, when I look back, what will I wish I would have done? And so even if I do it for those particular things, it's a little hard. It's not, uh, it's, it's imperfect, but that's the way it helps me to think about things. I love that. And did you notice a pattern over time? Like when you look back at the decisions you made as far as in regards to your personal life and your professional life, was it like a 50-50 split depending on, you know, because you were taking yeah. it sort of case by case. I did. I, I did. I took it case by case, as you say, and it also changed with the ages of my kids and the stage my career was in. And by the way, it also changed week by week. So yeah. it it allowed me to think like, I don't have to be perfect here or perfect here, or perfect here. I can put more time in one place this week and more time somewhere else later. How old are your kids right now? They're, in, they're 10, 12, and 13. Okay. So you're out of the little kid phase. And I know like I a am. lot of 
yeah, I mean, gosh, biggest sigh of relief ever. <laughs> what is, what's like the pivotal age when you feel like, okay, I'm not actively cleaning up other people's like butts and um, bottles. Did that happen yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still there, I think. Uh, this was the big age for me because my kids, they're 14 months apart and then 16 months apart. My friend Millie, who had kids the same, went bam, bam, bam like that. She said, when they're four, five, and six, you can get on the plane alone with them. And so that was the moment that I felt like, okay, ready to go. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I just asked because, you know, we're not going to talk just about motherhood, but it is a really, you can't really speak about a, launching a business or being professional in any way if you're a woman without sort of blending that in because I've said this before I'm as big of a feminist as they come but also there are certain things that only moms can do like we we talk a lot about balancing duties in the house but there was only one person who could biologically breastfeed our child and there's only one person who was right. wanted more but like I really found a struggle in that early on because I was like yeah of course he's helping my husband is helping in every way he can but like he really can't do some things. So sometimes I would just want to like scream because no matter how well we try to divide responsibilities, I know that the women often end up bearing the brunt of the, the majority of the home responsibility. You know, I remember um, hearing Ann Curry get interviewed right when I first had my kids or I read an interview with her where she said, when I'm home and I have to work, I really try and shut the door and my work time is my work time and my kids time is my kids time so that my kids don't feel like work is coming into my relationship with them. And I was interviewed something about how do you deal with everything with your kids? And I started to repeat what she said. And then I realized I'm like nursing one kid, like shooing the other one off at the same time. That's so funny. Absolutely work and my kids are all in together. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I'm trying, what is the craziest place you ever nursed or breastfed? I'm trying to think. I do remember actively, like I would write one armed and like she would be, my youngest would be on my boob. Where else did I do it? Oh, on the frozen ride at Disney and a boat. I do not recommend that. But I mean, like, do you remember any of those like early crazy stories? Oh yeah, on the side of a rodeo when we were doing a story. We did story on the Super Bowl. And so we were outside. Uh, you're the same as me. I traveled all the time in those early days. And so anywhere I was, I had that pump and oh God, <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot in those early days. It is hearing that sound brings back like a visceral stress oh, on my body. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, I'm glad my boobs have gotten a rest. Um, I want to talk all about good pods. Okay. So guys, we're going to pivot a little bit backwards. We're going to talk about your TV career in a little while, because I feel like we, we kind of bond over that, but I love what you're doing now. And you're bringing, um, your platform is just bringing information to people through podcasts in a whole new way. So I want you to like give us the elevator pitch of what good pods is. Sure. So Good Pods is a new app where you can follow your friends and you can follow influencers to see what podcasts and specific episodes they're listening to. It's basically, if you're familiar with Goodreads, it's like Goodreads for podcasts or Instagram for podcasts. And the reason we started it is two reasons, really. One is as a listener, I would be, and I, you probably have the same experience, like I'd be ready to go for a run and I'd have 40 minutes to go running and I would spend the first 20 minutes just scrolling through my phone thinking, what am I going to listen to next? <laughs> and then eventually I'd call my brother, I'd call my friend saying, what should I listen to? And I wanted to make that process more efficient. 
But then also as a podcaster, because I had a podcast, which was a compendium to my show for NBC News. And I had this big machine behind me. And even still, it was hard to get the word out. But I had all of this marketing support. And I thought, if you didn't have this, how would you get the word out, right? If you don't have big buckets of marketing dollars or you don't have industry connections, how would anyone know about your show, even if it's fantastic? And so all of these amazing voices and all this great content is getting unheard. And we want to fix that. It's so frustrating, really. And, I, you know, I don't mean to sound like crotchety old person in the corner, but there's a level of bitterness. <laughs> there's a major level of bitterness. Like, Gary, when I see another celebrity launching a podcast, I'm like, you got the riches. You've got the fame. You got the, can you just let the little guys have our platform? This is our little democratized platform to share things. Let us be. But I mean, you're right. The big guys have gotten into the game of podcasting. I heard radio and I'm not dumping on anyone, but you know, these big media companies and conglomerates that are now backing shows. Um, you know, Michelle Obama has a podcast. How am I going to get a download if she's like, you know, <laughs> on the featured and feed? So what do you tell people who are doing content creation or in the podcasting world about how to sort of keep their head up and continue going when it feels like the algorithm is kind of stacked against you? Uh, well, ours doesn't have an algorithm. So there's one thing for good pod. So good pod <laughs> is, is purely about what are people, what are people listening to and then their friends will see it. So we saw in the very beginning days, this was so fun. We launched in March, right after quarantine happened, which is a weird time and not as we had expected, as you can imagine. But one of the first podcasts that went viral on Good Pods was one, I think it was called, You've Got to Calm Down. It was an independent, small podcast. And, and the episode I believe was white noise, just five minutes of white noise. <laughs> That's 2020. I know. <laughs> but we watched it go from friend to friend to friend to friend to friend. And so on Good Pods, of course, you have the usual suspects that go viral, like the daily and right. But you also have these independent small podcast episodes that nobody would have heard of just go viral because one person listened to it, then you see me, then then your friend sees you listen to it, and then we all try it out. Yeah, you can like see feeds. So like in my mind, it's also kind of like Facebook too, where you there's that not pressure, but that like um, sort of inspiration to try something new because you see your friends are doing it. And if they like it, well, it must be good. So I like that you see, it feels social in that way. It's like a social platform. In it is. Way. That's what's so neat about it. Because I, when I first started listening to podcasts, I listened to, you know, the same three every single time. Now I listen to so many different ones because I know if I want, you know, something on science, I go look at my friend Gordon's feed or wellness, my friend Chad's feed. And they're all these people who are kind of experts and my curators around mm -hmm. different genres. And we oh, do have influencers. Yeah. I mean, we have influencers as well, but so, so in a really exciting moment for us, Kim Kardashian West posted about it the other day. Um, so cool. Yeah, that was really bananas. But we also have Gwyneth Paltrow's on there, Malcolm Gladwell, and a whole bunch of people but what's neat about them is they bring people, they've brought people to the platform and you can follow them, but also they bring their people, uh, people who follow them, bring their friends. And so there's just more of a chance for everyone's podcast to go viral amongst this whole big group of people. Yeah, exactly. And and just so you guys know who are listening, like you can, there's an in embedded player. So we play there and that's sort of how it activates on your feed, right, JJ? So you, you play through the app and then, 
people can see, oh, she's listening to this today. Yes, you can either do that. So there are three ways you can share to your feed. You listen to it, you make it your player, or next to every episode, there's a share button, you share to feed. Or if you want to listen on Apple, you can do that and then share it to good pods, just like you would share it to Twitter or Facebook. Awesome. Okay, let's talk about like the, the, the crowded space that is podcasting right now. My first question for you is, do you believe that this will last? Or is this just sort of a, a bubble in the media world that you think will burst? Oh, no, I think it will last. Absolutely. It will. It, it's radio, right? I mean, it's audio. This is it is a different form of something we've already been doing, which is an enormous industry. And I think it will last. I think it will only get better. I even even in the time since I've started listening to podcasting, it's only gotten better, more great content, better produced shows. So absolutely. I think it will last. What do you say to people new to the space? There are a lot of people who have stories that absolutely should be heard or information that should be shared. Um, number one, how do you encourage them in an already crowded space? Number two, what are some like great first steps for potential content creators out there? It's like starting a business, right? So don't just assume that because you want to do it, that there is an audience out there for it. The beauty of podcasting is that the bar is pretty low. You can enter into it without that, no, sorry, I don't mean low, but I just mean you can enter in without that much money or time to start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really a laptop with a decent microphone or an external mic and that's it. You know, the ability to record, everything is free these days, you know? Yeah, so you can try it. Look, as you go on, you, you probably want to invest some and make it very well produced, but, but it, there's no reason not to try it. Give it a shot. See if you're good at it. See if you enjoy it and see if what you have to say, there's an audience for it. Yeah, I love it. Um, we talked a little bit about this already, but you have a background in TV news. And I, I love hearing how people make like career pivots and shifts. So tell everybody where you were working before you went kind of full time into Good Pods. I had been working for over a decade at MSNBC. So I I worked at CNN a long time ago, and I left that job to start my first company, Good Shop, which is a mission-driven coupon company. And then I got a call. I was, I was freelancing one day at the stock exchange for CNN, just filling in for them while I was writing my company as a favor. And I got a call from MSNBC saying, we're doing a show about small business, would you like to host it? It's going to be six months. And I just launched my company and I was like, yeah, who's going to say no to that? How fun. It's six months. I'll do it, of course. And it ended up being 13 years. <laughs> so for wow. 13 years, I ran my company and I hosted that television show. The cool part about that show was, and I, I have a couple of notes here on some of the people that you talked to, um, you really got to pick the brains of some really intelligent and successful people. The founder of Warby Parker, um, Peloton, It Cosmetics, Zillow, Bobby Brown. I mean, I, it would be, I'm sure you get this question and it's probably annoying, but I'll ask it anyway. Was there one favorite interview or one moment of all of those entrepreneurs that stood out to you? There were so many and they, those people are amazing. Um, and the, the interview with, with John from Peloton is really incredible because his story is just uh, people saying no, 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 and not being able to raise the money and look at him now, right? But the people I really loved interviewing were the ones who were not famous, right? The woman whose husband lost her, his job. She had been a part-time waitress. They had $10,000 to their name, four kids, a mortgage. And she took that money and she invested it in a bagel, a low-fat bagel company, kind of risked everything 
Jenny's Bagels that then became successful. And there, there are just so many stories like that. A guy who started an indoor mountain bike park in Cleveland, he'd been an addict and found that Mike mountain biking turned his life around, but there was no place to do it in the winter. Mm -hmm. So he by hand got this warehouse space in Cleveland and created this indoor mountain bike park that now people come to from all over the world to ride in. And they're, all those stories were the ones that were really inspiring and really stuck with me. Yeah, I think people hear stories about successful business founders or entrepreneurs and they're like, I just don't have it in me or I can never do it. But hearing that, hearing you just recount those two stories alone, I, I do feel like there's a moment in most people's lives where you feel like, okay, this might be a good idea. Like, and it proves that you, you, you can succeed, but then you look at the statistics and you're like, oh God, it's like really hard to do well. It is hard. Most, I mean, a lot of people fail, but the people who succeed, it's not like they all have MBAs or they all came from particular kind of families or connections. To me, what I find they all had was this drive to make it work and the ability to see past failure, mm -hmm. the ability to not let it just deck them, right? They said, okay, this didn't work. Let me keep going. Yeah, who was I interviewed someone recently? I think it was the founder of um, Idea Mix, which is like a platform that helps people sort of connect their passions with with professions or founding a company. And I asked Sam, who's the founder, I was like, "Are you a believer in the launch first, ask questions later theory, or the plot and plan and scheme and get every detail in order before you launch?" Um, after having interviewed entrepreneurs for so long, do you think there was one? of those philosophies that they kind of stuck more to? Um, I think the way you can do things now is a lot more the latter, right? You, it, it is much easier to launch it. When we first started our company, I mean, sorry, when we first started the show, MySpace was the, I think maybe Facebook had just started, right? There wasn't the same kind of social media. There weren't the same kind of resources that we have now. So while it was easier to start a business then than it had been 10 years before that, it is much easier even now to start than 14 years ago when we started the show. And so as much as you can get something out there and get consumer feedback to it, you should. Okay. Oh, so like ask, find your audience or find your consumer before you fully go to market, so to speak. If you can, I mean, look, when we, before we started Good Pods, I spoke to, and you were one of them, probably 700 people. I wish I could show you my Excel spreadsheet of just person after person. And this isn't just a quick email. This is on the phone or on Zoom or having a coffee with them. Everyone from Malcolm Gladwell to a lady in Kansas who listens to podcasts once a week to the head of some of the biggest podcast production companies to just say, here's our idea. Do you think this is good? What would you want out of this? Why would you use it? Why wouldn't you use it? And all of that informed our decision. And then once we launched Good Pods, we watched really carefully to see how consumers were using it and then mm -hmm. made changes in our product roadmap based on their feedback. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess we are in a position now where we hear that feedback quicker than ever and we can sort of access the, the consumer, the customer faster than ever. So good, good that you, yeah, you can hear that. And you can also see it, right? If it's, if it's a digital company, you can see what people are doing and you can figure out, oh, no one's using this feature. We may as well get rid of it or we need to fix it in some way. Where did you start your career in TV news? Were you a small market gal to start or did you start in, in the big leagues? 
I, I was the receptionist for NBC Nightly News. Nightly, nightly. <laughs> Who, like, under anchor, what was the, what anchor era? Tom Brokaw, Tom Brokaw was the anchor. Um, I was the temp receptionist because their receptionist had left to go do, to, she was lent out to go do a different job. So I was there. It was meant to be for six weeks or something like that. She never came back. And I ended up staying there for six months. And then the executive producer, I love this story. The executive producer of that show, his name was Steve Friedman, was leaving to start a, a new show, a primetime show called Now with Tom Brokaw and Katie Couric. And so I went into his office and I said, Steve, I want to come with you. And I want to work on this new show with you. And Phil Griffin, who's now the head of MSNBC, was sitting in the office also. Um, and Steve said, all right, well, you can do that, but you've got to go talk to my co-executive producer, Paul Greenberg. He's upstairs. Go introduce him. Go introduce yourself. And I was like, I'm not just going to go up to this man. I was 22 years old, right, who I've never met. And so I want to come work for you. And so Steve, or I guess Phil said, you know, write her a note. So he writes a note and says, Paul, this is JJ. She wants to work with us. Talk to her. And he hands me the note and I read it and I hand it back to him. And I said, can you please add not as the receptionist? <laughs> That's great. Good for you. Asking for something you want. I'd love to hear it. So I guess it turned out well for you. Yeah. Well, so I go up there and I was like, and Paul Greenberg was very scary at the time to me. He's a really nice person, but at my 22 years old, I was like, hi, I'm JJ here. I have this note for you. <laughs> So awesome. And then and then just sort of continued your trajectory from there, it sounds like. Then from there, I worked uh, at Now and then Dateline NBC. And then, um, yeah, then I left Dateline to go to grad school. I decided to go to business school. Okay. This is funny. I interned at Dateline when I was in college in 2001, right before 9-11. It was like, I forget what year, but... Um, you know, uh, you're telling this and I'm thinking like, oh, we spent that summer in 30 Rock and like, you know, you walk into these buildings that are monumental in both, you know, scale and, and legend and feel and you're like, oh my God. And I like hopped on the elevator and I saw Ann Curry and it was like body sweats. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. But it's just so cool. It's just such a really magical business, really. And um, I don't know. I just, I envy your time in that sort of like pinnacle of it all, because I think, you know, that's sort of the place where all of us journalists like sort of long to end up, right? New York or another great city that's just like sort of the center of all that. So very, very cool. It, it was fun. It was fun. And it was fun to be in a building where I started as the receptionist and then to come back all those years later and then have a show on there that was and my friend Liz who was an associate producer on Dateline with us now she runs Dateline NBC she's the executive producer and so it's just fun to see all these people kind of grow up in the industry and then have these big jobs yeah it's so cool i mean gosh let's talk about how social media has changed the world of journalism so much i mean you you too like i was in it before it was facebooky and Twittery and all that stuff. Um, you hear a lot of criticism of the media these days, and I want to know, even though you're not, you know, actively um, in the field currently, does it kind of like give you a little pain in your heart every time you hear someone knock the media, or knowing the hard work that goes into it, and knowing um, 
the true passion that so many people bring to their jobs. Cause I think I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I'm like, you know, just these people are working hard. Like they're doing their best. <laughs> Be nice. They are, but it's also changed quite a bit than from when I started right out of college. So there, the cable didn't, cable news didn't exist, right? I guess CNN, but um, yeah. So, so yes, it, it, I know how much goes into it and how hard people work and and how well intentioned so many people are, right? And there's just a lot coming out at you. But I also think it, people who are criticizing it are thinking of news like the old days when there were three anchors and that's where your news from and that's it. And so if you compare it to that, it's just an entirely different machine right now. And it'll never be the same again, too. I mean, so long as we have access to social media, the crazy part is that we can all choose our news sources. And some people don't choose objective news sources. So that that can be, you know, they, they choose to follow someone on Twitter, for example, or Instagram that appears to be sharing what what they think is objective information. But to me, I always say you have to be like a wise consumer now. Like, they, like you said, no longer are the days where you can sit down and listen to people talk about the world. We have a thousand potential outlets. And depending on what you choose, it can really shape your worldview, which I guess is very powerful, but to me is also a little bit kind of scary. Well, not only that, but it's being shaped for you, right? So because of algorithms, which is where we started this conversation, news is yeah. coming at you based on what you've read before. So you may think you're getting a, a wide view of the world, but you're actually getting a very narrow view based on what's put in front of you. So what do you tell people then as far as being a smart consumer of news, having your background? Like when, especially now at a time where it's critical to get the most straightforward information as possible ahead of an election. I try and get my news from multiple sources. So I will read the New York Times. I will look at MSNBC. I'll read Fox. I'll read the journal. I'll read Politico. But you can't just depend on one source. Yes, that's what I said. I always say too. I was like, go to the Post, then go to the Examiner. Or I'm sorry, yeah, Washington Post and the Examiner, and go to you know the Times and then the Wall Street Journal. But I mean, it's kind of sad too that we have to do all this work to like land somewhere in the middle. But I suppose we're all totally. For it. I just want to read one article that will be objective and give me both sides. And yeah, what do you make of cancel culture? This is just something that's sort of peripheral to what um, I think that the current media state has somehow enabled. So do you have any thoughts on, on that? I do. I just had a long conversation with our kids about this the other day because someone in our world had this happen to them recently where um, they on Twitter just, you know, for, for, I, I, I can't actually comment if the reasons are right or wrong. I wasn't in the middle of it. I just know the person and saw them get skewered on Twitter with no ability to respond. And it is, it was awful. It was really, really pretty awful. And there, it, there was just, there was no room for dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. it, there was no room to make it right or fix it or try and understand in a deep way what went wrong. There was no, there were no shades of gray. Yeah, yeah, it scares me because, um, you know, we are raising our, our children with technology and they know what it does, but they don't, at least at, at our children's age, know the third, fourth, fifth steps that come after you press that tweet button or post button or whatever. And it does, 
it just really scares me. I know people in the media too, who've been in a similar position. And I know I've said things before too, that have been perceived to be political when I was still working in news. And there's no amount of backtracking you can do. And there's no amount of reasoning you can do with people, internet bullies. And it's just, it, it's, it's, it's scary, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I do think there's a fine line we have to walk between holding people accountable for the words they put into the universe, but also being graceful enough to understand that we're all going to screw up. Exactly. Well, yeah. And I think, I mean, and it's tricky, right? Because a lot of people haven't had a voice for a really long time. And so, and and people's voices are are coming out now in a really important way. And so it's just, it's a confusing world right now for kids. I think, um, and and teaching them, we we have a, yeah, the the, the whole thing. There, there's just a lot going on right now in the world, and I hope that it ends up in a place where we can all really communicate with people. I know, I know that uh, organizations that I'm working with are doing a lot right now to just have people really talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about those groups and some of the work they're doing? Because I think if there's anything we all are in need of right now, it's like a little sort of meeting in the middle. So what what kind of resources do you turn for for that? Oh, I don't mean I don't mean sort of nonprofits that are focused on that. I, I mean, literally just the groups, groups of friends, our school, yeah. nonprofits that I've been in. So this, you know, we did this training the other day for a nonprofit that I'm on the board of. And it was it was incredible and it was wonderful. And the conversations that it sparked were great. And this is an organization that does so much good in the world and still felt like, hey, Let's bring this trainer in and and try and go even deeper into the way we are um, putting ourselves out there in the world as an organization and as board members. I love that. Yeah, I, I think that's smart. A lot of companies are start like you said. There were there have been voices that haven't been heard for so long, and we got to the point where we didn't even know they you know these wanted to be or existed because algorithms or what we expose ourselves to on social media, it just tends to really narrow your focus. All that being said, do you have any rules with technology when it comes to your kids because of all of the power that encompasses? Are you, are you specifically limiting anything or what, what's the plan there? Um, yeah, I, the rule that we have is anytime you are going to write something down, just ask yourself, would you be okay if this got posted at your school, on the New York Times, right? If you're anything, any, and and we try and limit. I'm watching the sun come up and everything go on crazy behind me here in my in my place here in the house. Um, yeah, and we and we do try and limit it. Look, it's hard. My kids are getting older. Um, they don't have access to social media. My kids. Okay. And so, and we, we do try and limit it as much as possible. I, we also try and really create enough fun things that we can do as a family or outside because you really have to fight against it, right? You've mm -hmm. got to fight against the, the lure of just going on and being on YouTube all day or chatting with your friends all day. Yeah. I had a wake up call, wake up moment the other day where my son had said something about, and all they do obviously is like watch YouTube on our family TV right now. So it's not like they're active social media users, but he's already aware that X, you know, this follower has X or this, this, you know, YouTuber has X amount of followers. And isn't that cool? I'm like, no, it is not a measure of your worth. And my husband's like, okay, like you don't have to be so serious, but I hear that and I'm like, oh my God, we're raising kids who are completely dependent on, you know, being validated by the numbers on in, on their social feeds. And it freaks me out to my core. It really truly does. 
I know, I know, but I do know a lot of kids who aren't like that. And so I, I doesn't it feel like Halloween here? <laughs> hey, this is a very casual show. In case you haven't noticed, I'm in feel free to move around. There is no shit. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Do whatever makes you comfortable. Truly, always moving around. Um, <laughs> I just feel like. God, they're like I'm a jack o' lantern. Um, I do know a lot of kids who aren't like that, and I think it's it it's their friends, and it's a lot of parenting that yeah. goes on there. Um, so you don't. I'm but crazy. it's going into that soliloquy every time. I'm like, your value is not measured by your followers. Well, I think you kind of have to, right? It's oh God, it's it's hard, and my kids are probably just entering into it. Um, and my oldest one is not really like that at all. So I'm lucky so far, but, uh, God, social media. And I think you just have to also, it's not a big thing for me, social media. And so I think if you see it in your parents, my hope is I know so much of what I got from is from watching my mom and how she acted. So I'm hoping maybe that affects my kids or at least the way you talk about it. So you're not constantly checking anything or posting something and seeing how many people have liked it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a crazy world. Well, JJ, tell us what is next for good pods and any shows in particular that have caught your attention or eye that you think we need to check out on the platform. Of course. I just finished listening to wind of change. Have you heard this one yet? No. Uh -uh. What's that? So good. It's a series, uh, uh, the New Yorker, um, reporter who has heard this rumor that this song by the band Scorpion called Wind of Change was written by the CIA as propaganda. And so the whole series goes through an investigation of him going around the world and trying to figure out if that's true, but it is so well told. It's so entertaining and so good. So I, that is my podcast that I suggest right now. Okay. I just figured well, that out. I love a good conspiracy theory, so I'm totally down for that. Yeah, this one, it's, I just think it's so, this is what's so great about podcasts is there's so many that are so well told with these just amazing storytellers, right? Who just capture your attention and the commitment is not that big. I'm going on a walk. I've got to listen to something anyhow. Right. Yeah, I love it. I've noticed too that like, um, it almost feels like we're going back to the olden days of like voice actors and when, you know, generations past would listen to the radio at night, like podcasts now are becoming so highly produced and just beyond conversational where it's like a movie, like you can see it playing out the music and, you know, the, the voice inflection. It, it, it's really like becoming an art form. It's kind of cool to hear. So I have to check I listen that one. One the other day, I forgot what it was called, but you can see it on my feed. But it was like an oldie timey radio show, right? When I was little, my dad used to put on these tapes, like the suspect and the, right? We would listen to them at night. And this one was like one of those. It was so fun to listen to. That's so cool. Oh, I got to check it out. All right, JJ, tell us where we can find you, any social handles, upcoming projects. Tell us where we can track you down on social media. Um, I am JJ Ramberg on all social media. Good pods is good pods on all social media. Um, but, but most of all, what I encourage you all to do, please is just go ahead and download good pods, follow Sunny, follow me, follow all of your friends. You can invite them on, follow some of our influencers and get exposed to a lot of new great podcasts. Yeah. I really can't encourage it enough guys. It really is the way to get things 
referred and suggested by people you actually trust and not just that nasty old algorithm again. So it's coming from people you know, which we love. Um, JJ, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me today. That uh, was so fun. Thank you, Sunny. <laughs>